So, hey, last week as we began this Casey Essentials, what we started with was an introduction to the Reformed faith, um, an introduction to what, it, what came out of the Reformation, what incredible truths that reminded us, uh, that taking us back to the Bible. And we looked at uh, this Protestant Reformation, the Reformation, what it meant historically, what it meant doctrinally, and what it meant practically for our lives. So we're going to kind of unpack that today. And if last week was an introduction to theology, this is going to be more something, let me use a big word to prove that I went to seminary, soteriology. This is kind of the study of salvation. And how is it that we are saved? What is God's part? What is our part? How do we obtain this incredible salvation uh, that God has given to us? And if we examine Scripture closely, which we always should do, we're going to see something amazingly marvelous and beautiful about our salvation and our part and God's part and uh, who should get all the credit and the glory. And so um, we're going to jump into this. And again, for some of you, this might be new. For some of you, old hat. But Let's begin with this. We're going to talk about the doctrines of grace. And this is going to be the next two weeks are going to be uh, under the doctrines of grace. And I'm going to give you another name for them in a few minutes. Uh, and so you're going to understand in a few minutes why this is a better name than some. So, Eric, how you doing, bro? You're look, you looking good. So are you going to be back here with uh, Miss Karen? Uh, giving your mom a quick hi, hello. So under doctrines of grace, what we're going to see is salvation is of the Lord. Uh, our great salvation, how we're made right before God, and the idea of us having a relationship with God. Our salvation is all of the Lord, purely by His grace. It's entirely from God. Our salvation is entirely dependent upon God. And it really, if we examine this closely, it takes all of God to save all of us, or all of His children, what Scripture calls the elect, those that He has drawn unto Himself. And we'll see that salvation is by the Father's initiation. For God so loved the world that he gave. It begins with a loving, gracious God. Without him initiating with us, we are in trouble. One thing clear about Scripture is God is always the initiator. He's always the first mover. We are responding to him. And Romans 5.8 makes a little bit more clarity of, of, of uh, John 3.16. It says this, that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, and remember uh, we last week as I preached on grace alone, we by nature are children of wrath. We by nature are dead in our trespasses and sins. So here is God's grace. Here is God's mercy. In the midst of the reality that we can't even respond or until he allows us to, our God, our Father, initiates with sinners like us. Hit pause. Rejoice in that. Our God is holy. Our God, is, our God, Scripture tells us that He's so holy, he can't even look at sin. How in the world can God love sinners? It's a mystery. He does, but He, he, he saves us and rescues us. It's God's execution. The salvation is not only His initiation, it's His execution that, that Christ Jesus would become uh, our sin, that He would be pierced for our transgressions, that He uh, would, would be, uh, um, uh, give His life for us. Hey, Eric, will you go and, and just hang out with these guys in the nursery so your mom can be in here with us? It'd be awesome. Can you go with Miss Megs? Why don't you grab a, yeah. So come on, Eric, because I got, I got to teach this class. So hold on. Let me get Karen here. Karen, you want to Okay. Um, so salvation is on Jesus' execution. It's all on him. Uh, he has come. He lived the life we failed to live. 
died the death we deserve to die. Okay? So, uh, God the Father's initiation, God the Son's uh, um, execution, and then God the Spirit's application. If you look at this per, uh, this passage in uh, Titus, it'll tell us that we have been regenerated. We've been made new by the washing of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit gives us ears to hear. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to respond. So, when it comes to salvation, it is all uh, by God's grace. And so with that reality, uh, these doctrines of grace uh, is also called this five points of Calvinism. And it's, it's the gospel in, in, a, in a tulip, in a flower. And what are, what are these five points? Well, it's going to say these things. It's going to spell out the acronym TULIP, that we by nature are, have total depravity, that we cannot respond. Um, to even the gospel, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. It will tell us that scripture teaches us that God loves his people, his sheep, unconditionally. He didn't look through time and say, man, Jeremy Dubach is going to be a wonderful person. We know he is. And therefore, God moves toward Jeremy because he sees something in Jeremy. There's something he knows about Jeremy or something he foresees about Jeremy's faith that moves him toward him. Scripture will tell us, unbelievably, God, not because he knows how what an incredible man that Chief Doyle is, loves Chief Doyle. He loves Chief Doyle, and because of that love, he is the wonderful man we know. So it's unconditional. That limited atonement, this will be hard. This might be the hardest one for, for many of us. It's like uh, limited atonement is the biblical teaching that Christ Jesus laid his life down for his church. He laid his life down for the his sheep. He, he died for his people. Um, it, it's not limited in its power or its effectiveness. It was limited in its scope. Whom did Jesus die for? Now, we'll say, well, he died for the world. Well, what does that world mean? Is that every individual? We're going to unpack what that means. And it's going to be probably surprising to you to see what that really means. Uh, it also means irresistible grace. Um, irresistible grace means this, is that those whom the Father before a time began set a special love on, those whom Christ has died for, those are the ones the Holy Spirit will give ears to hear the gospel, that God's children are going to come home. He who hears my voice. Jesus is not going to lose any. It's not depending on us. It's not going to be like, you know what, I tried um, gee, I, Father will say, I sent the Son, and the Son said, I gave my life for you, and the Holy Spirit, well, I tried to get them to understand. Those whom, uh, before time began, the Father has set aside in his own, those whom Christ has died, those are going to make it home. Um, and then it's going to be the last one is the perseverance of the saints. And I don't know anybody who has a hard one with this one. This one's the easiest one. And this was basically saying that once you are a child of God, you'll never lose that status. Once that you've experienced the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, he's not going to change his mind about you. He's not going to say, you know what, I'm so tired of you. Uh, you've been so frustrating that I'm, I'm out and, and you, you can lose your salvation. Now, we got to know that this is not a new teaching from the Reformation. This was held by Augustine in 400, and it really goes back to Paul. This is all biblical teaching. But when you talk about these five points of Calvinism, I want to tell you that these five points were felt, formulated uh, coming out of what was called the Synod of Dort. Now, what a Synod of Dort is this. It's a gathering. Dort is a place. It's a gathering of church leaders. And the church leaders were studying theology and salvation. 
Uh, and this was uh, 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 the Synod of Dort was was at, at these, this time, and it was years after John Calvin had passed away. Uh, there was a, a person who lived right at the heels of John Calvin, Jacob Arminius, a Dutch professor, and he read over Calvin's uh, material, and Calvin wrote volumes of things. Remember I told you at age 27, John Calvin, this trained lawyer, uh, became pastor, preacher, uh, incredible. He wrote the Institutes of Christian Religion, which is this incredible work of taking God's word and breaking it out and helping us understand what it means. And uh, this Jacob Arminius, uh, this professor, he read through Calvin and says, you know what, I got, I got a problem with five areas of Calvin's teaching. And he wrote the five points, if you will, of, of Arminius, uh, what became known as that. So this council studied what is most biblical, uh, and they came up with the five points of Calvinism, which really is incorporated in the majority of great creeds. So what, is it, what does it teach? Well, let's start with Jacob Arminius. Uh, what he taught was this, human ability, that human, humanity, yes, that we're sinful, that, that we all have been affected by sin, yet we all still have the ability to come to Christ. Uh, we all have the ability to respond to the gospel. We, we, he would argue that we, I, I guess we're not really dead in our trespasses and sins. We're only warped by it. We, uh, we, we still can respond. Uh, he would believe in conditional election, that God uh, would choose some, choose one based on foreseen faith or something he sees that he knows to be true, that he knows what I know, that Aunt Joni's like the nicest person in the world. I love this woman. And he would look down through faith and say, I want to choose Aunt Joni to be in my family because look at how awesome Aunt Joni is. It's based on either her faith or something inside of her. Um, he would believe in general atonement, that Christ died for all men, women, and children, uh, and yet only those who believe are saved. That the power of salvation, and I know I'm talking fast, I know there's a lot here, the power of salvation for them would be in the choosing of Jesus as Lord and Savior, not in the sacrifice of, of Christ on the cross. That only opened up a possibility of salvation. So they would say that he came for everybody. Then there would be uh, resistible grace, that humanity can reject God's grace, that when God's working in your heart, uh, you can say, hey, no, thank you. Um, I'm going to do things my own way. Um, and probably the worst of them all uh, is falling from grace, that humanity can lose their salvation. Many of you probably grew up thinking that. Some of you may still think that now. Um, is there something so egregious that you could do that that could have God say, I've had enough. I'm walking away. Um, but let's go back to the reality when Jesus says it is finished, it is finished. Is our salvation based on our works or his? Our sacrifice or his? And the more we get this, if we see that salvation is of the Lord, it's his grace and mercy, we're going to realize how amazingly secure we are in Christ Jesus. On our best day and our worst day, we are loved. So, so what came out of John Calvin in the teaching and what came out of the Synod of Dort was the understanding of total depravity, that humanity is unable to come to Christ on our own, that God has to initiate with us. It's the belief of unconditional election, that God chose his family, chose one based on nothing that we do. It's completely from God the Father. Now, believing in limited atonement or particular atonement, I'm going to unpack that for you uh, this week and, and, and next week. That Christ died for his sheep. He died for his church. He died for his people. 
That's the work of God the Son. An irresistible grace of that those whom the Father has decided to love in a special way, those whom Christ had come to rescue his sheep, and he would lose none, those are the ones the Holy Spirit would apply this grace and softening to. See how beautiful it is. It's a belief that all of God is required from our salvation, initiated by the Father, executed by the Son, applied by the Holy Spirit. And it's a belief that perseverance of the saints, that we are preserved by God. And like Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in us, that's God, he's always the initiator, he will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. That the one who has a grip on us, he will not let go of us. Hit pause. We know that we our grip on God is very loose at times. We know how conditional it can be. We know what knuckleheads we can be. We know that we can live our lives as, as almost as if we are atheists or agnostics at times. Is it not true? Let me tell you what that means. Isn't it true that we make decisions and our, our, the way we talk, the way we think? Sometimes it's like it kind of doesn't even exist. You know, I mean, what, what in the world? Um, well, our salvation isn't based on, on our moral behavior. Um, it certainly pleases the Father when we're like Him and we're holy and do the right things, but our perseverance is from the grace of God and His grasp on us. Jesus doesn't lose one of His sheep. There's not one that's going to get out of the Father's hands, and this should bring us great joy. So many will struggle with these. Um, uh, many have probably, I don't know where you are in your life. I, I know that there's some here that have grown up in different denominations. Uh, uh, Maria, I'm not I'm trying to, grew up Greek in a Greek Orthodox home. Um, my, my favorite Aunt Joni grew up in a very Catholic home. Um, you know, your dad was a Methodist pastor. And so those three homes probably didn't hear a lot of this, okay? That, that's not where they grew up uh, uh, hearing this. Um, I don't know, uh, Jeremy, I think your background uh, for faith is a little bit different. Catholic. Ca Catholic as well. Um, Lily, I think that you went to a Reformed church pretty early on. So so we're across the board. For some of you, um, I know you grew up in it, you know. And so, um, but many struggle to accept these at first. And probably why? Because it really emphasizes God's work of salvation, and it minimizes ours. It shows His greatness and grace. It shows our sin and depravity. And a lot of times you want to ask, you might ask the question, is this fair? Is it fair for God to do this? Is it right? Is it important? But probably the question we have to ask is, is this biblical? Uh, and if it is biblical, it is important, it is right, and we're going to see through this that God is fair. God is fair. I can promise you this. Uh, if uh, God is beyond just, God is merciful and gracious. Let me even hit pause and say this. To whom does God owe salvation? To whom does God owe his son to come and rescue? To whom? Nobody. Right? The fact that he offers it to anybody is an incredible, amazing grace. So let's don't, and if God were just, just, we're all toast. We all would head to hell because that's all what we deserve, right? But he's more than just, he's also merciful. But we have to see that salvation is all of grace and grace alone. I didn't grow up this way. I didn't understand this. I understood that Jesus loved me. This I know, so the Bible tells me so. Now let me hit pause. That's the most important thing to know. If you walk out these doors and you say, Pastor Jakes is crazy, um, <laughs> that this stuff is, is nutty, 
But I love Jesus and he's my savior. You are my brother or sister. I love you. I will honor to be your pastor. No one is going to get into heaven because they believe this stuff. We get into heaven because of the blood of Christ and his righteousness and the grace that's given to us and our faith in him alone. But when we look at this, I believe it magnifies the glory of God and the grace of God. And it makes us say with more an incredible thank you, Lord, for what you have done with us. Why? Because salvation is all of God's grace. God's unmerited favor towards us. Apart from anything we do, including even our believing that even faith, which I'm preaching on this morning, is a gift given to us. So, um, total probably does mean that human nature is corrupt or perverse and sinful throughout. We are unable to do anything good to please God. Now, that's true of all of us. Remember, by nature, we are children of wrath. It doesn't mean that you're not able to do civic good. Um, you probably can help old ladies across the street, the believers and non-believers. You can do some things that we would say are important. You know, I, I, I'm a part of a men's group that's phenomenal and so philanthropic. And I'm sure that there are people there who are of faith and people who are not. Uh, there's a lot of civic good we could do. But when it comes to pleasing God, if we are by nature children of wrath, and if we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we are unable to do anything good to please God. And we are do, unable to do anything pertaining to our salvation. If it is true that we are by nature children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sins, we aren't able to reach out. A dead man can do nothing spiritually our condition is so bad, we have to be made new. Um, it doesn't mean that man is as sinful as he possibly can be, as comprehensive as it can be, or a complete absence of relative good. I would imagine that maybe even Adolf Hitler loved his mom. I don't know. I mean, there might be some, there might be a spark of something he did. I can't, he's so evil and bad. I can't even say that. We'll throw him out. All right. So let's, uh, let me start somebody different. You know, um, you know. It's not saying that there isn't something good in, in other people. We see, we see philanthropic um, non-believers uh, or believers in Buddha or, or other religions that, are, that do some really good common good. So it doesn't mean that there isn't any good uh, as far as civic good or what could help humanity. What it is saying is there's nothing good in them that could please God or move towards salvation in God. Does that make sense? Uh, God's common grace um, made in his image um, you know there, there are some, some things that we could civically do but nothing spiritually so a better name for this might be pervasive evil or radical depravity or total inability I like the best total inability this is the teaching that we are unable to respond to the gospel apart from God's grace this is really good to know why do some people when they hear Billy Graham preach walk down the aisle and embrace Jesus and some don't well, none have the ability until God first gives them the ability. Okay. Um, so scripture teaches us about fallen humanity that cannot subject his mind to the law of God. And I don't have time, but if you want to write these down, um, our mind is dark. You know, we cannot um, uh, subject our mind to the law of God. Romans 8, 7, and 8. We cannot please God on our own. Again, Romans 8, 7, 8. We cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, they're foolishness to us. We cannot bear to hear the Word of God. John 8.43, we cannot come to Christ unless the Father is enabled and draws us to Him. Out of John 6.44 and again in 65. 
And this is that great passage where Jesus feeds the 5,000. He talks about, I am the bread of life. And he says very clearly, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. You can't do it. A dead man can't move. Um, God has got to be the one who initiates and, and moves us. So humanity, is it basically good? I mean, we can argue this right now. Now let's hit pause. Is humanity basically good? Heavens no. Watch these kids. They're not naturally good necessarily. You know, we're selfish. Um, and we would like to think that humanity is basically good. We are not. And what are the effects of sin on humanity or man? By the way, um, I've tried to change most of those to humanity, you know. So, uh, and I'm not trying to be politically correct, but I think we live in a time where uh, we've kind of lost the sin of man. I mean, when Scripture talks about in Adam, it's in uh, all of us have, have, been, have been sinful. So that's talking about all of human race. But the effects of sin on humanity, we are all naturally sinful. We are sinful by birth. David would say in the famous Psalm 51.5, from birth, from uh, I was conceived by my mother in sin. It doesn't mean that she was having an adulterous relationship. It was saying that even from conception, sin is a part of the story. We are sinners by not only birth, we are sinners by practice uh, in our hearts. We are by nature children of wrath, and our mind and our conscience is defiled. Um, so that's some of the effects of, of our, our, us. Uh, again, the, the effects of sin on humanity. We have a corrupt heart. Who could change our heart, Jeremiah is going to say. No one can except for God giving us a new heart. Um, I love this passage in Ezekiel 36, one of my favorites. It says that he will remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. He will pour his spirit upon us and, and, and cause us to walk in the right way. Um, the effects is not a corrupt heart. It's that we're dead in sin. I, I've used that a lot in Ephesians 2, 1 or, or Romans 5, 12. We are bound by Satan, by uh, nature. We are spiritually deaf. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, the effects on sin on humanity, we are in darkness. We are spiritually blind. We are blinded by the darkness of this world, and we are blinded. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers, so they cannot believe, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. We are uninstructable. Uh, we have no hope. We are slaves to sin by nature. Um, Sinful humanity is powerless to change his nature. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one, Job 14.4. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to do evil. No, we can't. We, we must have God's grace. Why is the doctrine of total depravity so foundational? Well, the wrong view of sin is how it affects humanity will lead to erroneous views of how we're saved. Salvation is from sin. If we're so corrupt, our salvation is conditional by our... Uh, salvation is from sin, so our concept of salvation is conditioned by our view of the gravity of sin. It teaches that humanity is unable to do anything to save himself. Therefore, where's that E? God must do the saving. Um, again, T uh, equals the helplessness of humanity and sin. And the ULIP that, of, of Calvinism is the sovereignty of grace, how he rescues us out of that. Um, Okay, understanding the scriptural view of our sin, sinfulness means we can be honest with ourselves. Every one of us is broken in a mess with one another. The world is broken and with our God and about the present reality and the depth of our sin. Um, I love what Tim Keller says when he talks about the gospel. He says, cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. <laughs> 
Cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. But the good news is God's grace is better than you ever dreamed. Okay? Um, uh, doing so reminds us daily of our need of Jesus, our Savior, who loves us in spite of our past, present, and future sins. Is that not good news? It's based on his grace and mercy to us uh, from beginning to end. No one ever thought much of grace who thought little of a sin. I think the problem with this is people don't think sin is a big deal or they don't think the holiness of God is a big deal. They both are. God is without sin. He's holy. And we, in our thought, word, and deed, are sinners. Oftentimes we think of sin this way, by the way. We think of a sin of breaking God's law. Theologians do a nice job of breaking sin down into two categories. The sin of omission and the sin of commission. And the sin of omission is what we omit to do that God has asked us to do. The sin of commission is what we've committed to do and God told us not to do. Let me make it clear. The sin of omission. What is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? You know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, and your neighbor as yourself, right? Has anybody done that yet? I haven't, okay? I haven't loved the Lord my God, and I love Him, but with my whole mind, soul, strength, I know I love myself too much, and I love my neighbors myself. I love Aunt Joni, but the truth is, I really love my family more than Aunt Joni's family, um, and I love her family. Um, so God told me to love Him with everything I have, but I have not done it. That's the number one, and so I've omitted to do what God has asked me to do every nanosecond of my life. And he's told me not to do some things. And I've walked across those lines numerous times, including today and yesterday. You know, I went through the red light right there. Supposed to obey the laws of the land. It's a stupid jump red light. It's a green light going this way. It's, it turns red to go on the San Lake Road. I'm running a little bit late. I had Karen Meggs in the car because she's going to help with our nursery. And who just decides on a red light to turn left? I'm sorry, Chief, I did it. Would you have pulled me over and written me up? You probably would have. <laughs> you probably would have cuffed me and dragged me out and told me that. So, but it's, uh, it's only against an understanding of our depravity that we can fully begin to appreciate the love of God displayed in the saving grace. I promise you this. If you get past the awkward wrestling, is it... And you get to the depth of this and to see, wow, I really, the only thing I can contribute to my salvation is my sin. Everything else that God has graciously given me, he is amazing and he is loving. This will not lead you away. A true understanding of this will not lead you to think that God is harsh. It will make you think God is amazingly gracious and loving. If you struggle with other doctrines of grace, the problem stems from this one. What it means is, as we talk about other things, if you don't believe that we're totally depraved, um, that we on our own cannot save ourselves, the rest of these will be a struggle for you. But if you cross the Rubicon and you get over to the other side and you realize, huh, by nature I'm a child of wrath, by nature I'm dead in my sin, trespasses and sins, the rest of these will fall into place fairly easily. And we really see that because after T, the total depravity, the next one is unconditional election. Well, let's see, even hit pause. If it's true, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. If it's true, we are by nature children of wrath. If it is true, we cannot respond to God until he first gives us the grace and the nature to respond to him. It has to be unconditional election. Because what can a dead man choose? If it's left to us, 
and we are dead in our trespasses and sins, no one experiences God's grace. Does that not, at least logically, that has to make sense. So, um, so if, if it is true, logically, this has to fit. I mean, you can't unwind T in you. If T is true, U has to be true if anybody is saved. Does that make sense? I'm kind of, all right. So unconditional election, that God before the foundation of the world, this is right out of Ephesians 1, 4 and other places, chose certain individuals from among the fallen members of Adam's race to be objects of his undeserved favor, while others he passed by. His choice not determined or conditioned upon anything that man would say, think, or do. It's all by God's grace. Um, Ephesians 1, uh, let, me, let me read that. It's probably important enough for us to read. Um, Ephesians 1, um, says this, I love verse 3, so it's off by says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How beautiful. All the blessings that God has come to us through Jesus, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So it's basically saying before time began, God has said, I'm going to love these. I'm going to love my own in a special way. I believe God has a love for all of his creation. He's got a love for his image, and rightfully so, that all of life is precious because of that. We're going to walk to that reality this upcoming Saturday. But for some reason, he has loved his own. I don't know why, but I can tell you this. Um, uh, one, there's a person in here who really is one of the most loving people I've ever met in my life. Uh, incredible lover of humanity. It's so much so that he has served humanity as a policeman. But I also know that his love for his family is unlike his love for anything else. Um, when you talk about his son and his daughter, um, you're going to talk about the apple of his eye. And uh, you can talk about the other people in his life, but his family is his family, right? And so, is that not true, Chief? Is that not fair? And I think when it comes to God, it's, it's like us. And, and why? So, here's the reality. I don't know. It's a mystery. It really is. It, it's unconditional. And, 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 and I don't know why. And even in, in the Old Testament, when Jesus, uh, when God is talking to his people saying, I love you, Israel, it's not because you're bigger. It's not because you're better. Matter of fact, you're stiff-necked. You're, you're terrible. You, you wander away from me all the time. I love you because I love you. Um, so uh, God's electing love is from every tribe, tongue, and nation. There's going to be people that are going to represent all of humanity. It includes every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group that he's going to call to himself. It's not just exclusively one race or gender. He loved Abraham to love the nations. He loved the nation of Israel to love the nations. He certainly has a love for the nations, but in the nations are his particular people. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's, his, it's his own. So, um, all right, so that's, uh, let's, let's keep unpacking this for just a minute. Um, you guys enjoy the deep end this morning? So unconditional election, how unconditional election relates to total depravity? Sin has so affected humanity uh, that we are unable to choose God. I talked about this. Therefore, if he's to be saved, God must do the choosing. 
Um, and that's called election. Um, it's interesting. Some are chosen, other pass by. But hey, that's not fair. Fair means just. You get what you deserve. And what do we deserve? If he's just just, we all deserve death, right? So it's beyond that. It's, it's, it's above and beyond fairness. It's mercy and grace. If he owed salvation and failed to give it, that's injustice. But he owes no one. All have rebelled. Uh, he's not only just, he's also merciful and gracious to save some. And remember, none whom deserve it. Salvation is a gift from God, not a duty. Now, it's really interesting because Katie and I, uh, we invite people into our home. Um, and we can invite you for dinner. And somebody says, it's not fair. Why do you invite people to dinner? Well, it's our home. I can invite people I want. And so, um, well, shouldn't you invite everybody? Well, you know, shouldn't I invite? Shouldn't I invite myself? Can I just show up? Ding dong, hey, you're Pastor Jake's. You know, I'm coming to your house today. Because why? You should, you should give me a meal. Well, well, you know, you should do the choosing to come to my house. You should be the choosing. And then God's the one who will say, no, no, I'm the one who's going to choose to invite. I'm going to choose the one who's going to invite to my table, invite to my family, invite with me, um, to, to be with me. So this, this word that has become a cuss word to many, predestination, I, I just read it right out of Scripture. Um, uh, it's got it's two-sided. He's choosing unto life, election showing mercy to whom he shows mercy. Ooh, my goodness, that Romans 9, 9 verse right there, where he talks about Jacob and Esau. Ooh, man, it says, before these twins were born, before they did one thing right or wrong, so that God's standing of election may stand. He says, and I have a love for Jacob, but you know, compared to Jacob, I, I hate Esau. Now, it's really hard to hear God say that. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm telling you, Jacob was the one. I mean, I, that's that family member, and that, that's it. And, and you want to say, well, that's that on, is that fair? Well, God can do what he can do. Uh, God actively intervenes in the hearts of sinners, the elect, who are spiritually dead. But it also means that he's condemning unto death, reprobation, or harboring those who don't come. God passively giving sinners over to their sin, being already hardened against God. Remember, we are condemned not because they are passed by, because they are sinful. Now, let me say that again. He says, it's not fair. Now, if God didn't choose me, isn't, 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 it respons isn't it his responsibility? He's the one who did it. So he didn't choose me. How can you hold me guilty because you didn't choose me? Well, you're not guilty because he didn't choose us. We're guilty because we're all guilty. We're guilty because of our sin before a holy God. So he passes some by. And he's glorified by uh, his wrath uh, against them. It's a mystery. Um, but he also um, um, saves some. Paul anticipates two objections to uh, election. Why does he still find fault for who resists his will in Romans 9? Issues never raised. Listen, uh, you can't raise the objection uh, if it's based on human decision. <coughs> If it's, if, it's, if it's man's decision to reach to God, there's no objection with God. Then who are we to question what God does? He is like the potter, uh, has the right over humanity, for some to mercy, to some not. Let me, let, me read, let me read something to you. Let me read this Romans 9 passage. Um, now, Aunt Joni, my mom didn't believe this at first. This was really hard for my mom. And when I was coming to Christ, and you know my mom loved Jesus more than anybody in the world. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, that's a little harsh. She loved Jesus more than anybody we knew. A little hyperbole there. I mean, she was amazing. And when I started getting this stuff, I became arrogant. I thought, wow, this is incredible. And I read this passage to my mom, and she wept. And she didn't weep because she thought it was good. 
she wept because she thought, golly, I didn't know this about God. Um, what should we say then? Uh, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder? Why have you made it me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honor use and the other for dishonorable use? Um, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has in, endured with much patient vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, for he prepared beforehand? And they'll go on to say again, um, uh, let, me, let me back up and say, um, um, I'm in verse, read verse 6. But is it also uh, the word of God that's failed? Blah, 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 I'm sorry. Um, this means that it's not the children of flesh who are children of God, but children of promise. From, um, verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac, though they were not yet born, had done neither good nor bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love and Esau I hate it. And so, you know, it's just basically God saying, I have loved in a special, unique way my family. And uh, I know it's hard, but it's, listen, you can't read Ephesians 1 and not hear before the foundation of the world, he's chosen some, he's predestined some. You can't read Romans 9 and not see he is the potter. He, he can do what he wants. But he's merciful and gracious. And to make us think, why does he save any? It's just an absolute mystery. Um, did it ever get really cool in here? It never really did, did it? Um, okay, so, so maybe I'm just going too fast. Um, our remaining sinfulness is even seen struggling with our election. Why not all? We should be asking why any, Lord. I mean, why didn't he save everybody? I don't know. But why did he save some? Even more mystery. You know, it's just incredible that he has. Um, so our questioning should be placed with wonder, how did he love anybody? So what's your biggest struggling with today's teaching? What does the Bible, biblical understanding of total depravity lead us in singing Amazing Grace? And why is unconditional election absolutely necessary and total depravity is true? Everybody okay? Yes, sir. I have a couple questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with election, why is it that people are saved at different stages in their life? Why is it that some people, you know, accept God when they're like, you know, I think about he's sovereign over other the, people. I think he's sovereign over the ends and the means, which means I think he knew that some would embrace him as a child and some on their deathbed, some a thief on the cross. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that was part of his glorious design that he'll show grace to some early on and grace to some in their last dying breath. I don't know. And so... But I know he's in control of all things, not only their election, but also when they will get it. Why does Jesus give us the Great Commission? Why are we supposed to go out and evangelize if people are already going to be saved and there's nothing we can do to either? Because he chooses help or us to be the ones he uses to go tell them. It's incredible. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher in English history, my hero, he believed in every one of these things. And he said he got criticized for preaching the gospel so passionately. And, and the people said, if this is true, why are you preaching to those who may never come? He goes, I don't know who's the elected, who's not. If you put a little yellow tab on them, I will only preach to them. But until, <laughs> but until them, i got to preach to everybody. So I think that God's chosen us to be his ambassadors. God's chosen us. 
But instead of going as a missionary to a native field, wondering if my words are good enough to make someone come to Christ, I go knowing that his word is powerful enough. If they have ears to hear, they will come to Christ. And so I think it's part of his plan. He uses us. And I think that's how he wants to do it. But good question. Why does he put a number on the elected? Like, it's over, like, 200,000, but then... No, I think the numbers that you see of, of, of like, 144, yeah, 144 is 12 times 12 times 12. It's a number of perfection over and over and over again. It's a multitude. It's so like, it's not, like... I don't think it's literal. Literal? It's, I, it's every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's like he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Does he own just a cattle on a thousand hills, or is he still <coughs> owns them all? So, so it's, 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 a, it's a, I don't believe in a literal number. I, I believe there is a literal number. I don't know how many of that is, but I don't think he gave us like that. So, uh, um, yeah, good question. I know the Jehovah's Witness believe oh my gosh, a literal yeah. number, but we're yeah, not going to get into that. Yeah, they do. Hey, I'm sorry, because I didn't give you a lot of time to ask questions, and uh, i got to go change my shirt. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and what do we do? <laughs> yes, sir. So, obviously, a lot of people identify as Reformed or call themselves Calvinists. Do yeah. have, does anyone, like, call himself an Arminian? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Sure, probably. Yeah, and I, I think that they would say, hey, you know, um, they, they would reject some of this. And again, brothers and sisters in Christ that we love, that they just haven't seen the light yet. <laughs> but again, I grew up not believing any of this. I didn't believe it. And when I first believed it, I thought, this can't be right. And it, was, it seemed very harsh. It seemed very, it seemed like God, it was, again, I made my mom cry. And so, you know, and, and then she came around to see that it was biblical and true with the grace in this. So remember you don't have to be a member of King's Chapel to believe this. But I just, and the reason I'm doing this is like, hey, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what the leadership embraces. And I just want to be transparent, especially when we look down the future of who God's going to raise up for leadership. You know, um, folks like this, folks like mine. So we're going to talk about the LIP, uh, the LIP, uh, next week. Um, also in this, we're going to talk about uh, the role of men and women. Who in the world decided to do this class? I mean, what's wrong with that? But, but uh, um, hopefully we'll see all of them.